0: 2,000 people marched on the streets of the capital in anger at the order of a racist, anti-Semitic dictator in an attempt to seize power in a deadly coup. The seat of democracy itself would have been completely overwhelmed had it not been for the police response and subsequent counterattack. Hitler would be arrested with... Wait, shit, no, we're talking about Trump thing right now. We're not not talking about the 1923 Nazi coup, which has a lot of similarities, are we? So, yeah, Trump Trump was not arrested, and yeah, stuff still isn't solved yet. So, how how did we fuck this up? How did we fuck this up? How did we fuck this up? I wanted to start this episode off with a terrible, awful moment in history that this whole capital storming thing in the U.S. reminded me of. The Beer Hall Putsch. You know, the Nazis started off as a bunch of like drunk guys in pubs yelling about like Jews and how Germany is a victim and all of that stuff. We all know the gist of that. But the Nazis
1: attempted a coup in 1923. Yeah, people think it was like really easy for Hitler, but you know, he failed. Like like all of us, he failed. He didn't get into art school. <laughs> we did. Take that, Hitler. Yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. We're better than Hitler. Say Say whatever you want to say about us, but we are better than Hitler. So on the night of the 8th of November, 1923... Hitler and all of his little goonies marched in and broke up a speech being given by another German right-wing politician at the time at a giant giant pub called the Burger Brackkeller. So him and his like little entourage, Hitler and his entourage walked mm. into this place. 3,000 people were watching this man, Gustav Ritter von Karr, and Hitler walks in, 603 paramilitary people on Hitler's side, surround the pub, the beer hall. And Hitler just sets up a machine gun in the middle of this pub while while there's a speech going on. Wow. And no one can hear him because there's like so many people in the pub. So then he just shoots up into the ceiling. He did a wool to white. He did. <laughs> he did. He, he set up a, a machine gun out of nowhere. Everybody's trying to listen to this other guy talk. The other guy does not want him there. By the way, Hitler, a few days earlier, apparently promised one of his goonies that he would not attempt a coup.
1: (laughs) He promised him specifically that he would not do that. I think Hitler got the idea to stage a coup. I think this was just after Mussolini took power, and the way he did that was with a coup. But I guess the difference there is Mussolini was successful. Like very successful. He completely took power of Italy. Yep. Did people die? How many people died? Sixteen people were killed on the Nazi side, and four people were killed on the other side. Yeah, so it's pretty bad. Obviously, you know, it was stopped. The police managed to stop it completely, and Hitler was arrested. And yeah. obviously, it's quite a pivotal point, I guess, in like his life, because he would spend that time in prison writing Mein Kampf. So all of all of these
0: people, all these like little Nazi supporters marched out of the beer hall and then attempted to just overrun the government. That was a coup. That was definitely a coup. Why I thought that we should talk about the the Nazi thing is like there are a lot of similarities to mm. that beer hall puts and the Capitol riots. But there are also some differences as well. And I feel Mm. like there's just a a whole lot of context
1: that people should be aware of. We should probably point out, we've obviously said that, you know, it's the 2021 Trump coup, but you could argue it's actually not a coup. It's perhaps more than that. I mean, Wikipedia calls it a storming, the storming of the Capitol building, which is Mm -hmm. quite... I mean, that's some crazy language to hear. It feels like we're living in a movie sometimes. Like, think about it. If you told me five years ago that in the future, Donald Trump, you know, the star of the apprentice, as president of the United States, ordered his mob of Trump hat wearing fans or whatever you call them to invade Congress, the seat of US democracy or whatever, and stage a coup, I would have slapped you in your face with a sock. (laughs) <laughs> With a sock? <laughs> yeah. I mean it's like a Black
0: Mirror episode. It is. I think I think the bar for what is considered as unthinkable mm. has been moved since five years ago. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think it's just constant the goalposts are constantly being pushed back to like All right, well, that happened, but this can't happen. And then that happens. Mm, And it's like, okay,
1: well, and then it just keeps going. And I mean, obviously, you know, we're talking about this just after Joe Biden has become president, but people shouldn't treat this as some kind of, okay, it's all done now, fixed. We don't have to worry about that anymore. Like wash their hands of anything. Things don't work that way. Not to compare it too much, but after the failed coup of, you know, Hitler, he would be in prison for, you know, years. That was before he took power. The thing with these Capitol riots and with
0: the the Hitler coup attempt and Mm. with like a lot of similar historical events is like the point is just to show power. It's it is. It's like terrorism. And I think that in that way, the rioters at the Capitol won. Obviously, they didn't, you know, overtake the government yet. I don't know. We don't know what's happened by the time you're listening to this. So in that way, they lost. But but in another way is that like now Everyone is talking about it. We're talking
1: about it right now. (laughs) Exactly. That's the thing is Donald Trump is a master of, you know, creating an image. And like, I guess that's what all people that know how to kind of like control the media, you know, that is something that Trump was very good at. I mean, I don't think many of us will ever forget the image of seeing the Capitol building just completely swarmed. It's an image that I couldn't imagine even five years ago, but that's what makes it even more powerful. So anyway, that's what we wanted
0: to talk about today, the the assault on the Capitol. But more generally, we wanted to talk about like the ideas and the groups that were tied up in this because it isn't just one group or one mm. idea. It's a lot of different things, all uniting against a common enemy, which is, I guess, American democracy. <laughs> so and we, we said this in an earlier episode, something similar. Where it's like Biden, he's president now, right? but that doesn't mean all of the issues are gone. There's yeah. still a, a huge amount of people that want things to change for the worse. And then also things just aren't set up right now to stop things like this from happening. Mm. The seed has already been planted and now we have to just do our best, just make sure that doesn't grow into a tree, metaphorically <laughs> speaking. Yeah. The far right or alt-right make up the backbone of Trump's loyal base. But like, who are they? We're going to go through the storied history of the far right in America and beyond, and also the more recent rise of the alt-right, and it is a doozy. So, so Isaac, can you walk me through the timeline of the
1: Capitol riots,
0: just so we can get that over with? Yeah.
1: People, I don't think they realize how whack it was. It was whack. It was whack. I don't think people, (laughs) people don't realize how crazy it was. I think I was working at the time that it was all happening and it made me feel quite bad because obviously my eyes were glued to the news. It was just so crazy. So this all started with Trump, obviously. So this all started after Joe Biden won the election. Yes, that's it, right. I said that (laughs) because apparently to some people that's actually not what happened. To a large group of the population in America and almost all Trump voters, Joe Biden didn't win and actually Trump won. So Trump, before Joe Biden's inauguration, put something out on social media being like, okay, so we're going to the Capitol and we're going to protest against the inauguration of Joe Biden. And the exact words he put at the end of it was, it's going to be wild. And fucking hell, boy, was he right. It was wild. <laughs> Did he say that? He said it's going to be yeah. wild. That was in the tweet that he sent out. Boy, it's going to be wild. So it was on the 6th of January. I think it was when they were, whatever the word is, ratifying Joe Biden as president, basically like confirming him as mm-hmm. president. And that was it's Mike Pence that had to do that, which so mm-hmm. is quite a big thing. In a way, Mike Pence was going against Trump by acknowledging that Joe Biden was president, which is so weird when you think about that. So I think it started around like 12 p.m. And Trump was basically speaking at just a normal rally, doing his normal, you know, getting everyone angry about stuff. But, you know, he was clearly trying to incite something, you know, saying stuff like, we have to show strength. We can't be, you know, like weak, which Mm. to me sounds like coded language. Oh, my God. Do you remember in first year when that Trump song that you loved? Oh, my God. Yeah, I fucking (laughs) love that song. I still do. And I'm proud
0: to be enemy.
1: Do you know what he used as he was leaving the White House? (laughs) What did he use? YMCA. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Does he know that it's a gay anthem? I don't think he does. I I, I guess not. (laughs) Anyway, so Trump's whipping up the mob, and then eventually he's like, okay, so now we're going to march on the Capitol. And think they start to reach the capital around like one PM. Now mm. I didn't know about this, and I don't think many people knew about this, but at that time, two bombs were discovered at both the DNC and the RNC. So that kinda makes sense, I guess, because you know, Trump's followers, they're not Republicans in a way. They're followers of Trump. It's so much less to do with the parties. Around 1pm, that's when it starts to really kick off. So this was when Trump was finishing his speech. So there was violence beginning whilst Trump was still talking, which means quite clearly Trump didn't care. Surely he would know. Surely someone would tell him, oh, by the way, they're kicking off. They're kicking off. They almost immediately overwhelmed the police perimeter. They have all these like barricades chanting stuff like, whose house? Oh, how something that that I found pretty interesting was that
0: you generally see like a pro-police sentiment when it comes to like Black Lives Matter mm. protests. I know, right? And the police are breaking up the protests there with like violent yeah. means. You see, people like all these far-right wing white people going like, "Yeah, mm. stick with the police." But now, as soon as it's them protesting, it's just hypocritical. I think it just shows. Yeah. And I know that's not like a radical thing to say. Right? I know that a lot mm. of people have brought that up, but like
1: it-, it is just fucking ridiculous. I know. I guess another thing to say is. That there was a very small amount of police there. So anyway, like around 2 pm, I think that was when they finally got into the Capitol building. Now, I don't even know how this happened, but apparently the actual like senators and Congress people that were, you know, signing the thing to ratify Joe Biden right. as president, they didn't even know what was going on. By this point, they still didn't know. And this has been going on for like it's been going on for two hours. <laughs> Nobody told them? Apparently not. I mean, I guess they were busy doing something pretty important. This is the craziest thing. So at exactly 2.11pm, the rioters finally break into the building. And two minutes later, they were at the doors of the Senate chamber. The senators are still inside. So they were inches away. So there was basically a two-minute gap between the rioters getting in and the senators going out. Like, I know it sounds crazy, but... What would have happened if they got in there? That's one of the scarier things. Is like there's so many
0: pictures of them with like handcuffs and stuff, which means like Mm. the only reason you would bring that to that is if you're hoping to take someone hostage, which meant that we were very, very close to terrorists coming into the Capitol building and
1: holding government officials hostage. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is insane i was reading an article about that so that guy that was carrying like i think it was like zip ties or whatever that guy is a former soldier so he was in full combat gear i think there were people there ready to kill there's no way to
0: prove it but 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 it is like that's a fair thing to assume that like Mm. what would have happened if like like if they got in there and they got nancy pelosi and mike pence Mm. and and whoever else was there they could i don't know what they would have done I don't know if they knew what they were
1: going to do. I actually think a lot of the people <laughs> that were like joining in on the riot were joining in on it, not thinking that it would work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's get in the building. Whoa, let's go, let's go. And then they get in there and then they're just like, uh, what do we do? Then like one guy pulls out a gun and starts like shooting and then everybody's like, oh. Uh, uh.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing is like there were so many groups there that like obviously this was like a planned thing, right? This was clearly mm. a planned thing. There were people with t-shirts, there were people with riot gear and zip Mm. ties, and this was clearly something people planned out beforehand. Oh, yeah. But I think there probably was a combination of a lot of different groups of people that wanted different things. That's kind of what the alt-right is. We'll get into
1: that. Yeah, yeah. So we all probably saw the images of, obviously, the protesters. One in particular probably stands out, and that is what a lot of people call the QAnon shaman aka Jacob Chansa is the guy with the horns on his head (laughs) right yeah there's actually a clip of the moment that they get into the Senate chamber and I think this just has to be listened to to get an idea of just how kind of wacky the whole situation is let's listen in so this is as the protesters got into the building the QAnon shaman like leading them all and then he stands in the the speaker's chair so let's have a listen fucking hey
0: man (laughs) <laughs> Glad to see you guys. You guys are fucking patriots. Look at this guy, he's got- covered in blood. God bless you. <laughs> yes, sir. You good, sir? Do you need medical attention? I'm
1: good, thank you. alright? I got shot in the face. <laughs> I got shot in the face with some kind of plastic bullet. Any chance I could get you guys yeah. to leave the Senate wing? We will, I- I've been making sure I ain't disrespecting the place.
0: Okay, just wanna let you guys know, this is like, the <coughs> sacredest place.
1: I know, I know. hey- <laughs>
0: <laughs> I just want to let you guys know um this is like the sacredest place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then with the with the guy just sitting there like slumped against the uh... <laughs> I just got shot in the face.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the guy saying he's got shot in the face is just lying there. I'm guessing he's in pain. He's like bleeding. So like the QAnon horn guy comes in. He's just like, yo, you're bleeding. <laughs> it's so chill. I know. And the guy that says, yo, this is like the sacredest place. It's one of the security officers for the Capitol.
0: What is he going to do?
1: He's just like asking them to leave politely. He's like, guys, like, come on.
0: (laughs) This is sacred. Come on. This is crazy. And it's also so, it's like infuriating to see too, Mm. especially after the Black Lives Matter protests where, you know, they weren't in government buildings, but people were still killed there by police and stuff. But meanwhile, like these people are being treated like, can I, uh, can I ask you guys to evacuate the Capitol building, please?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's probably the biggest thing you can get from all of this is just think about last year, you know, the Black Lives Matter protests. The images that I remember of the police response, let me think of some things I saw. Tanks, people in full riot army gear, like something out of some kind of futuristic Call of Duty Black Ops game. Yeah, And then you see this, like most of the police didn't even have guns, which considering it's America, that's actually insane. I mean, like there's like a shitload of like armed police outside parliament. There's no way you could get into parliament. It's impossible. I would have said the same thing
0: about the Capitol building. Honestly, I, I would have said that. I'm still in shock that this happened. That's why we're doing this episode, I guess.
1: But there is now evidence of this, that many of the people part of the protest were police officers, either currently or in the past. There it has been a suggestion of someone inside knew there was some kind of plan We know now that obviously this was in the works for much longer than it seemed. Okay, listen, if you've gotten this far into the podcast, I'm going
0: to assume you are not alt-right. You may be, you may be anger listening to this, which is, you know, fair. I get that. I think the alt-right, the Nazis, the white supremacists, in general, they're just kind of seen as the bad guys in US history. They haven't always been, but I think, I hope now that generally we can all agree they're not on the right side of history here. More recently, we've seen like a, a new ideology build up from this neo-Nazi white supremacist far right swamp, and it, it's it's built up on the Internet, which is why I think so many middle aged and older people might be a bit confused about it, because it is in like the depths of the Internet that these things are growing so I thought we could just talk a bit more about that to kind of demystify it a bit, because I think they get a little bit more mm. power from people thinking they're appearing out of nowhere, when actually they appear from really fucking embarrassing places. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: They're all kind of losers. So, yeah, let's, let's just kind of go into it. One of the main things, I guess, to think about is when it comes to, like, American politics in particular. Mm. The thing is, is that the Republican Party used to be way more liberal in a way. Yeah. Since the 80s, a more socially liberal way of thinking. Some people call it neoliberalism. There's a lot of like baggage associated with that. But we got to a point in time, basically, where people decided okay, all of the bad stuff that the Nazis did, let's just forget all that. We're just going to accept that, you know, freedom is good. Treating people nicely is good. Equality is good. We just kind of got to the point where we're like, that's just right. Right. And even like, you know, the Republicans took that on board. People like John McCain, like compared to someone like Trump.
0: I think John McCain is because I, I have I have friends that are Republicans. I have friends that are Democrats. I have friends that are communists. I have friends. I don't have any friends that are fascists. But um, I do believe in like, you know, the whole I know this is very Joe Biden of me, but, you know, we should all respect that we all have different Mm. opinions and everything and we should be nice Mm. to each other i think once you cross that white supremacist line you kind of you kind of lose that with me i think john mccain has done like a lot of things in his career that you know i disagree with politically but i don't think
1: it's at all on the same level as the alt-right so i think there is a clear divide so i say like up until 2010 the world was becoming i would say more liberal in general Now, I guess that slightly changed with George Bush, so I was looking at stuff, and George Bush was bringing in these ideas of like religious conservatism, and obviously Christians thought that he was this kind of saviour of Christians and all that kind of crazy shit. Some thought he was the Messiah. It was almost like a teaser of what was to come. (laughs) But still, like compared to Trump, George Bush is super liberal, which feels weird to say. He has more in common with even someone like Obama than Trump. So, like, really, the alt-right started in 2008, and it was started by someone called Richard B. Spencer, and he was basically just a dude. He's just some guy. He grew up in Dallas, average student, nothing particular about him. He's just, like, a white guy. (laughs) Now, he started a website and a magazine called The Alternative Right. Now, here's the thing. When I was looking into it, like when I was seeing stuff that he said, I think the key thing is it wasn't a reaction against liberals. It was a reaction against what had happened to the Republican Party. So it was more, oh, the Republican Party is too nice now. So we have to make it worse. So I think I think there there is a theme
0: that's happening where the alt-right is kind of filling that void over there. And there's a there's a theme with that happening with the Democratic Party as well, that people are becoming less and less content to be in these parties. They feel less and less heard by yeah. these parties. There's a whole like neoliberal thing, um, where I know a lot of I'm friends with a lot of proudly far left people. And I would I would say even I lean towards that. But I think that they're not happy with the Democratic Party. There definitely is like a far left movement happening. I mean, just look at like Bernie Sanders, even though he's not really that far left. He's definitely different from like Hillary Clinton, whereas like these alt-right white supremacist people
1: are different from John McCain. Like the term neoliberal tends to be, I I think, uh, is used in a lot of different ways. The best definition is basically socially liberal, economically conservative. That's like the simplest way of doing it. So then that makes sense with why the alt-right wouldn't like it. (laughs) Because they're like, well, it's all well and good, but you like black people? (laughs) Yeah. And then it's like, that's too much for them. People on the left would be like, oh, yeah, I don't like Obama because he's a neoliberal. So in a weird way, there's a kind of agreement at both ends of the spectrum. There is a quote. It talks about like
0: the horseshoe Mm. of the political spectrum. I mean, you look at the USSR and you look at the Nazis, completely Mm. different approaches to things, had some very similar conclusions in some Mm. ways. When it comes to Jews, both didn't like them. (laughs) When it comes to like, you know,
1: authoritarianism, very similar. So it was Richard B. Spencer that started it. And he's a proud ethno-nationalist, he will call himself. So here's the thing. The alt-right, they were not going to come out and be like, I'm a Nazi. Now, here's the thing. They are, though. (laughs) So they tend to use all these other terms. So he calls himself an ethno-nationalist. He's a racist fascist. Let's just be like honest. It's all built around this idea of like going back to this like European idea of whiteness, and we have to go back to the days of I don't know, swords and knights and kings. They just, I don't know, they really like Lord of the Rings or something. I don't know. <laughs> So um, I read a book by someone called Angela Nagel called Kill All Normies, which I think is a pretty brilliant title. Now, her as an author is a little bit controversial, and there's parts of the book that I don't totally agree with. But um, one of the most pivotal moments on the internet in generating this alt-right space was actually before alt-right was even a thing, Gamergate. is quite a big thing on the internet. Now, it doesn't seem like that would be connected at first. Basically, every single group that would become the alt-right started with that. And Gamergate was, like, pretty big in the time. It was huge. 2013, I I remember it. The thing where it's like, I don't even know what it is. I don't even know if anyone really knew what it was. (laughs) People were annoyed at this journalist who had sex with a game developer. Was that true? Did that actually happen? Yeah, it happened. But first of all, whatever. Yeah, who cares? (laughs) So her name was Zoe Quinn. Her boyfriend broke up, and then he wrote this big, long article basically being like, oh, she's so awful, this and this and that, and it's really horrible, and it became this huge, huge thing. People probably remember people like Anita Sarkeesian, even though she has nothing to do with that Zoe Quinn thing. Basically, she made this video series going through video games and showing sexism in it. Mm. Now, this really pissed off a lot of gamers, (laughs) like big time. Like his thing, not all gamers are men, but online, all of the gamers that would say they're gamers are men. So I guess at the time they saw this as some kind of attack. I remember when GamerGate was happening.
0: I, I yeah, it was really like there was that new wave of feminism happening. But I remember they were getting just shit on all the time. Even people who I knew were like going yeah. around. It was cool to hate on feminists and stuff. And, and the feminists of the time, like Zoe Quinn and Anita Sarkeesian, they were seen as like these annoying figures with. Which I'm sure comes
1: from a sexist place. And almost like invaders. Yeah, like they don't belong. Because like, here's the thing, even if you disagree with, like, let's say, with Anita Sarkees and with her videos that criticize yeah. video games, even if you disagree with it, so what? Like it's literally just a set of videos critiquing games. Video games are just games. Chill out.
0: Which, again, goes back to the whole loser aspect of the alt-right, because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> all they have to care about is video games.
1: So this all got really big on what was then becoming a really popular website for Chan and Reddit at the time, although Reddit's mm-hmm. not so much a like alt-right website as it used to be. This is when you know all of the famous memes came about, like Pepe. People probably know about like the Pepe meme, which is really closely associated with the alt-right. So, you know, they would harass Zuri Quinn and needs like he's purposefully trying to whip up, you know, a giant frenzy around the whole thing. On Wikipedia, it's actually often referred to as the first online culture war, mm. which is normal now it happens literally nonstop. Things like this. This is the Internet.
0: Yeah, <laughs> you you mentioned something about like their extreme humor and their irony and yeah. stuff. It was always and it still is. It's like it's all coded in this weird irony that like mm. is joking, but it's not joking. It's like they're trying to disguise this hate with like, oh, we're just joking. We're just
1: we're just having fun. Yeah. That's like a massive hallmark of it. I think the reason they do that, and this is something that Kill All Normies often talks about, is because then what you get is a lot of people become part of this that aren't actually part of it, if you know what I mean. So there was probably a lot of people that were part of the whole Gamergate thing that weren't like... I hate women. I hate all these fucking women. They were just more like, ha ha, funny memes. Let's have a go at all these, what they would call SJWs. You see what I mean? Yeah. You know, they see it as a joke. Someone could just share one thing. That's quite harmless. But if it's like thousands of people doing it, then it's like this giant thing. I wanted to mention one person that's very important. He's he's kind of been cancelled now. One of the most significant people to come out of the alt right group at this time, and it was linked to GamerGate. That's actually how he got famous, I think. So he kind of jumped on top of it. Is someone called Milo Yiannopoulos? The interesting thing about him is, um, he actually went to the same school as me. <laughs> is that is that your claim to fame? Yeah, God, it's, what a claim to fame though! Obviously, I, I don't know him. He, he's way older than me, so I don't know. Him. <laughs> We're not but- friends, I swear. <laughs> He started Breitbart, which is the right-wing newspaper. Now, from that, you fast forward to 2016. He was part of Trump's campaign next to Trump. It all starts from Gamergate, which is really weird when you actually think about it. What a stupid
0: beginning of a political (laughs) movement, right? It's so dumb. It's all because of fucking video games? Are you shitting me? (laughs)
1: Yeah. But anyway, he got cancelled recently. So he was a huge thing. He was maybe like the most important person in all of the alt-right, which is kind of crazy that he went to the same school as me when I think about that. Because when I kept looking into it, his name just constantly comes up. Such a big figure. He was canceled because in an interview, he um, opened up about a relationship he had with a teacher while at school, which is very interesting to me. At your school? (laughs) Yeah, it must have been. So he had a relationship (laughs) with a much older male. So he would have been 15, 14. And he said that was good. So he was condoning underage sex, basically. Oh, no. And that's what finally got him done.
0: I mean, I think it's important for us to acknowledge like he was clearly a victim. Yeah. We're not blaming him for having a relationship, but it's obviously the teacher was taking Mm. advantage of a student and that's never good.
1: You know, he was like really bullied at school. So he's gay, but he's also homophobic. Now, this goes into the whole thing of irony. So he's kind of like the epitome of all of that. He's this very flamboyant, over-the-top gay guy, constantly joking about having sex with guys and all that kind of stuff, but then at the same time, criticizing that. It's kind of weird, because that's the kind of humor that you know 4chan and stuff really like. Even though he's being serious, laced in with all that joke is real vitriol. What's funny, I think that is something that the far right and the far left
0: have in common, is just like a deep, deep love for extreme irony. Like I look, I I like a joke. I'm a funny man sometimes. If you're just constantly ironic all the mm. time, there's other forms of humor as well, and it just get,
1: it's tiring. Right. I'm just gonna say one thing: a lot of these people just aren't funny. Full stop. Oh no, they're not. They they think they are. It will literally just be like low N word. <laughs> That's so dumb. That's not funny because it's just not a joke. They think that's funny. There's no setup there. There's no like context in any sense. It's just being extreme for the sake of being extreme.
0: It's you know what that reminds me of. It reminds me of like Tumblr humor, which I, mm. which ironically they would
1: hate this comparison. It
0: reminds me of the humor. Where it's like he's so random.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is basically like the opposite of that. It's just saying something to get a shock reaction out of someone. There's like a joke that was made after Trump won the election. Trump won with memes. Now, that obviously seems like a joke, but there is a massive... No, I firmly believe that. It's basically true. So much of Trump's campaign was based on using this kind of online alt-right group with all their memes and, you know, irony and stuff to win. Yep. And it kind of worked. Oh, I, I remember being in high school mm. while, while all of this yeah. shit was happening. Mm. And
0: the the common thing to say would be like, okay, like, obviously the left wing is is better than the right wing and everything, but the right wing, they're just funnier. Mm, yeah. Because they had memes. That was it. It's like the left wing just didn't know how to use the internet yeah, yet. That I was
1: think. a common thing where it's like the left can't meme. Yeah. That, that in itself was a meme. Because like, you know, like I knew people my age that were just like, I know, but it's just kind of funny, isn't it? Imagine if Trump won. Wouldn't that be funny? Because to people it was so outlandish that he could win. Then it becomes almost like a challenge. Like, can we make him win as like a joke? <laughs> yeah the like the greatest joke ever i think what happened is because of all this mm,
0: humor yeah. or uh, attempt at humor i guess mm. they kind of like you were saying mm. is they they roped in all of these people that wouldn't yeah. have joined in if they were just straight up like i believe that women aren't people yeah, exactly i don't think that would have gotten as mm. many people there are so many people that were roped into this without really realizing it and they didn't realize that so many of these people online were actually serious <laughs> about the things they were saying i think they thought it was all a joke mm. Like when people first started taking alt-right stuff seriously and incel stuff seriously, mm. I remember people saying like, oh, my God, it's so ridiculous that they're actually taking us seriously. It's like, well, you're being fucking serious.
1: <laughs> That's the other thing. There's a the thing of like you use humor because then it's almost like a protection because you can be like, oh, it's just a joke. Yeah. Uh, Trump becoming president. Lol. Joke. Prank. We pranked you. Just got pranked, (laughs) which then
0: reminds me to like to call back to the Capitol riots Mm. when Trump was like, oh, he was egging them on, on and on and on Mm. for a long time. Him and a lot of other Republican politicians who I think should be out of office. He was egging them on, and then as soon as they get to the Capitol steps, he's like, "Whoa, oh, I didn't say to do that. Oh, don't break any laws or
1: anything." But it's like they create the Mm. atmosphere. They know what they're doing. Yeah, maybe that's the biggest difference between now and like the rise of things like Nazism. Is Nazism did not use humor at all. There was no humor. No, they were they were not funny. This kind of more like alt right approach to stuff like white supremacy. White supremacy coated in this ironic coat to the point that you sometimes can't even tell it's real it makes the pill easier to swallow for people they love that because they love all their fucking pills (laughs) yeah they do i know i did that on purpose (laughs) it's basically just the nazis with jokes and it makes sense and i think it's because they realize that we live in a time that everyone is like predisposed to be like oh yeah nazis are bad yeah, the Nazis, they did some really, really bad things. And they're probably the example of the worst thing ever, basically. So therefore, the yep. only approach is to like, well, how can we do it? We make it into a joke. We kind of make it look funny. It's desensitizing people. But then once you get really into it, and you know, people have done this. Talia Lavin. Just plug her. That was called Culture Warlords. Brilliant, brilliant book. She goes undercover into a lot of these communities. Once you get past all the jokes what you'll find is Nazism. And Talia, if you're listening, we would
0: love to have you on this
1: podcast. We love you so much. Now, in the UK, there were similar things like, obviously, Brexit. Not in the same mm-hmm. way, because like, my experience of Brexit was more like guy in a pub being like, we need our freedom. Yeah. <laughs> Brexit was a bit more old school, I think. But there was still that element. Yeah. The alt-right loved Nigel Farage. But it all kind of got to a head with the Unite the Right rally when they had those tiki torches. Yeah, which was hilarious.
0: Yeah, it, well, it was scary. <laughs> it was,
1: but it was, it was. It's just ridiculous that they were tiki torch. Yeah, again, they're all losers. <laughs> so that was, in a way, that was like the peak of the alt right because they've kind of fallen away a little bit since then. I was looking into that, and a lot of the people in the alt right saw that as like their moment of we're taking power now. Trump had won this is it now. We can, we can do all the stuff we want. But it was meant to be a peaceful protest, but it completely failed. Mm-hmm. A lot of the groups, part of that then kind of fell apart. But you could argue, and I was reading some stuff that that's bad, because what that actually meant is that a lot of them went underground. It's not like they disappeared. So a lot of the groups that went on to do the Capitol storming, they're the same groups that would have went to that rally, and they are. The, the Proud Boys were already around by that point and the famous Boogaloo Boys. Oh, my God. It's all the same people. They have to do it in secret. Mm-hmm. So they are now, I just think they are by definition terrorists. Yep. They're secretive groups planning violent attacks. To scare the
0: public, to gain political things. They are engaging in terrorism. I, I think that the Unite the Right rally is really, really similar to what happened at the Capitol riots as well. Because I, I think the both of them were trying to do the same thing, which was show their strength. They're trying to seem as scary and as big and as, as important as they are. And you know what? I think we should just refuse to give them that. They're all fucking losers and they're all nerds. And by the way, let me just say, nothing wrong with people who play video games. Nothing wrong with a nerdy person. I consider myself a bit of a nerd. And it scares people, like, it's, it, especially if you're like a minority. It's fucking terrifying to see. It was a terrifying image. They were shouting, Jews will not replace us. Yeah, that scared the shit out of me. I mean, I I think it definitely made them, it made people take them more seriously, which is exactly what I'm sure the Capitol riot is gonna do the same thing. On the 15th of March, 2019, Chris Tarrant, a 28 year old from New South Wales, carried out the single most deadly terror attack in New Zealand's history. But who was this guy? Uh, For the most part, to any outsider, he was just your average white dude, right? Like we all know, Craig. The ultimate (laughs) white (laughs) name. So anyway, New Zealand historically has has been a pretty safe place. Uh, There there has been very, very few mass shootings in Mm. New Zealand. Yeah. Which isn't too surprising. There are deep-seated racist stereotypes when it comes to the idea of a terrorist across the Western world. Usually, like people think of either uh, a black or a brown person because of uh, well, racist ideas, that are racist misinformation. But this
1: guy was a terrorist. The truth is, is that he was a dedicated white supremacist ever since he was 14. I think it was 4chan that he got into all this. So again, this is linking back to the whole online radicalization thing. Later on, he would use the inheritance he got from his father, about half a million. What the fuck? Now, if anything, that's white privilege. I know, yeah, what the hell? <laughs> what is he angry about? <laughs> so he used that inheritance to travel the world, connecting with the international far-right network. A common place a lot of people go is, I'm Ukraine. American white supremacists will go to Ukraine and train with their militia. Ugh. Basically, Nazis. They are like the leftovers of the Nazis. And they have more power than the government. And a lot of the white supremacists get trained by the Ukrainian militia and then go back to the countries to commit terrorist attacks. Right. It's, it's quite scary. So he was already connected to this like giant far-right network. So Terant arrived at the al Noor
0: Mosque at 1.40 p.m. during Friday prayer with a large arsenal of weaponry around six guns and began shooting. There were 140 worshipers there in mass. And what is terrifying to me, they target these people in times where they feel safe. And that is the most terrorist aspect of this to me is that you're attacking helpless people in a place where they feel safe, in a place where they feel at home, in a place that, that represents their culture. It's
1: disgusting to plan this attack he was every week going to the mosque and praying like put on an outfit that's so awful to the point that they actually got to know him the crazy thing is that the first person he shot just before shooting him said hello brother i mean they recognized him He'd been going to the mosque, you know, pretending to pray and stuff, secretly planning what he was going to do. He had blueprints of the building. It was very, very, very well planned out. He did that just to, to betray their trust even more.
0: That just infuriates me to read about. So anyway, not only is it bad enough that he was shooting into a crowd of 140 people in a religious building, he was broadcasting the entire thing live on Facebook to thousands of people watching this. Crazy. On top of that, he attached a portable speaker to his bulletproof vest that blasted out popular, like alt right meme songs, like "Remove Kebab." It, it, it's, it's just like he wants to humiliate these people
1: as well as terrify and murder them, and also turn it into this joke that then all the supporters of this on four chan, you know, replay yep. as if it, as if it is a meme. Yeah,
0: I mean, that is one thing that the Nazis did do with humor is they would use caricatures of Jews as like a like an. Overweight, large nose, the ball. Like hmm. they had very specific jokes to dehumanize Jews, and I think that this kind of triggers that in my mind for me. Playing that remove kebab song or whatever, like that, it is trying to turn this into a caricature of a thing. It's trying to make
1: people desensitized to it. I think that's the key thing that to me makes it a terror act, very, very explicitly, because it's a spectacle. Yeah, it's not just a crime. It's meant to actually be something more than that. So anyway, after
0: five minutes of shooting in that mosque, Tarant decided his job was done, and he continued on to another target, the Linwood Islamic Center, and continued slaughtering people. After he was done, 51 people were dead and 40 people were injured its just, it, just, it makes me shudder to just think about the amount of people that were hurt and, and to think about every one of those people has a family, they have friends, they have entire lives that were completely disrupted. Those people that are related to them or that are friends with
1: them probably traumatized them. It's just an exponential scale. That's the saddest part of all of these ideologies is just what, they don't see them as human, clearly. Mm-hmm. These were people that lived lives. You know, they loved people. They had family. They had dreams and wishes. The same as any person. He wrote a manifesto, which I think you know more about um, than I do. So, Chris Tarrant is the author of a seventy-four-page manifesto called "The Great Replacement." Like, if the alt-right were going to have a Bible, this would be it. Before the attack, Tarrant posted this onto 4chan Twitter and then I think he also emailed it to a number of politicians before he began the attack. Now the manifesto lays out the backbone of many very common white supremacist Nazi alt-right ideas. Yeah. These are one, the Great Replacement Conspiracy Theory, mm. which is basically this idea that white people are being replaced, and at the top of this is the Jews. Yeah, is
0: is that the thing where they believe that like the Jews are controlling like all of the other minorities to yeah. like then replace That's white exactly people? Exactly where it is. It's fucking
1: ridiculous. And then there's obviously the whole like white genocide thing, which is kind of linked to that, this idea that white people are being exterminated. And again, at the top of that is the Jews, apparently. Yeah, of of (laughs) course. Yeah. In his thing, he claims not to be a Nazi, using, you know, again, the term ethno nationalist. Now, here's the thing that's really interesting about all of this. It's claimed by many, like both in the alt-right and journalists, that it's like a shit post. Now, this is the thing that really underpins the difference between the alt-right and the far right, is that the whole manifesto. Now, don't read it after this um happened. You know, news sites just put the whole fucking manifesto up. Like, think about how crazy that is. Jesus. So they're just giving him exactly what he wants. That's exactly what he wanted people to do. He wanted them to put it up on the news because he wants everyone to read it. And what you'll see is that most of it is memes. And there's things that are true in there and things that obviously aren't. There's bits that don't make sense. So it's very calculated to both be an actual manifesto that people can follow, but at the same time, trick people that wouldn't understand all of the lingo. It's just, it just, an, it makes me so annoyed to just even hear about it. God. <laughs> all of it is a meme. Even the whole manifesto is a meme. I'm sure after it, all of the alt-right people were laughing, being like, oh, look at all these news organizations sharing the manifesto. They don't even know like that half of it is just a joke. But then actually within that is an even darker truth. Him as a person, and he's just one of many alt-right extremist terrorists, but he's probably the most significant because of that manifesto, because that's acted as such a big building block of stuff. Yeah, He's an icon in the alt-right now. That's something you'll find in a lot of the alt-right is there's these like figureheads that act as these icons in the incel or what they call the incelosphere. They really idolize Elliot Roger, the guy that kills university students. They all have their icons and they're all mm-hmm. serial killers. If your icon is a serial killer, something is very, 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 very wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, I'd I'd say that's that's fair to say. But then it's rowing because, you know, there's potentially hundreds of thousands of people idolizing these people. And I think that's why it's important that we have to really keep a, you know, like a check on it. Because it's like you were saying, like older people just don't really understand that all of this stuff is just basically online. And they're never going to get any of the memes, obviously. Oh no, they don't understand normal memes. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like way beyond them. things end up it's the same with any type of radicalization there's stages to it stage one you're sympathetic to an idea you know people use the term microaggressions yeah so it starts off as unconscious biases right and everyone has those it's Mm -hmm. like actually impossible not to have them But then that turns into a sympathy of those ideas. That doesn't mean you support those ideas. So let's say with um, white supremacy, it's not like you're like, I'm a white supremacist. It's more like, no, you know, there's some good ideas to it. Hmm. And it's usually like, yeah, I agree with it, but I just think violence is never the answer. The next part is obviously supporting the idea. And that doesn't necessarily mean being part of the movement. It just means that you justify the actions of the people part of it. So you can see that with all of this extremism, that there were people after Chris Tarrant committed this act. They obviously say it was really bad that he killed the people, but then it was like, yeah, but you know, was it that bad? (laughs) So that's when you're starting to get to the point where it's like, oh no. And then the next point is you're actively part of the group. Now, that still isn't, you're not really at the top point, though. You know, you're not a Chris Tarrant. You have to go even deeper down. So it really is quite simple. It starts from biases to acting on those biases. Then it turns into discrimination. Then it turns into violence, and it ends with genocide. And you can see that with everything. Like, even though, obviously, we can see it with the alt-right, you can have it with any idea. So it happens with incels. It's not white supremacy. With that, it's hating women. Mm doesn't matter what the thing is. Eventually, it's going to lead to killing people. And and
0: I I think that um, that's kind of why all of these different groups that were at the Capitol building in the beginning of 2021 were all there. Even though they all had slightly different ideas and everything, they were all on that same track. It doesn't matter what group they're part of. It doesn't matter what specific thing they want. They all intermingle with each other because they're all going down the same path. And that's what's
1: really, really, really scary. The Capitol right, in a sense, shows that a massive group of the American population are very far down that pyramid. They're one step away by definition from genocide.
0: Coming at it from a Jewish history point of view, the times when Jews were put in danger, it's when several different groups all united on the same thing. That's how you really know that something awful is going to happen. And that's what people are trying to do in America right now. The the white supremacists, the ethno nationalists, the neo nazis, traditional conservatives who are just like allowing this stuff to happen, the four chan ironic right wingers, the like anti feminists, like MGTOW, like the incels, the boogaloo boys, the proud, like all of these groups, they all have their own followings, they all have their own ideologies, but they all unite on specific things, and that's what's fucking terrifying.
1: People just have to realize that it isn't really a joke anymore. I think people are still in the mindset of, lol, Gamergate, Donald Trump, funny, oh, he became president kind of shock mode. There's, I think they're still in that mode even though he's not president. It's kind of like, wait, what? He was president? Oh yeah, he was. But people have to realize that there is now a real like, underbelly in America of really, really quite deep-seated far-right extremism. Yep, Like it's there and it's ready to awaken. And I'm basing this on what they say. They have all these telegram groups where they plan out everything they're going to do. They did not see this as the end. They don't see this as the end of anything. They see this as the beginning of something. Yeah, they're not planning on stopping. Trump was just a dude to them. He was just helping them along. I mean Trump probably doesn't even agree with any of their ideas. That's the other thing. In a weird way you could argue Trump was never actually alt right. I think he just he just liked the support. Big time. I think people think that Trump
0: is much more important to the alt right than he is. They were excited about him. He's kind of lost his support in the alt right largely. And I think that they're not they're not planning on stopping just because Trump
1: isn't president. Well, part of the reason for that is because they think he's controlled by the Jews. So <laughs> God, they think everything's controlled by the Jews. It's fucking ridiculous. So I found this quote taken from a review of Mein Kampf by George Orwell. George Orwell, you know, the famous writer of 1984. Mm-hmm. And I think it really lays out why, is, why are these ideas actually attractive? Why is it attractive to hate people? Why is it attractive to think that a group of people should be dead? I think people often don't even think about that. It's just bad. Whereas in reality, well, if you look throughout history, clearly it can't be that bad to most people. Because there's been so many times when they're like, no, yeah, let's do it. Let's fucking kill a whole group of people. To to really keep stuff like this
0: from happening, you have to understand the psychology behind it and why people do these things they aren't just doing it because they wake up one day and they're like i want to be evil they're doing it because they have their own justifications in their head whether whatever they are
1: do you want to read this it might be interesting hearing a british author in an american voice what if what (laughs) if
0: i do the first paragraph and you do the second that's kind of
1: cute good idea yeah that's cute it's cute we love each other yeah we're bonding over (laughs) over
0: (laughs) a mind camp review yeah okay Hitler could not have succeeded against his many rivals if it had not been for the attraction of his own personality, which one can feel even in the clumsy writing of Mein Kampf, and which is no doubt overwhelming when one hears his speeches. The fact is that there is something deeply appealing about him. One feels it again when one sees his photographs, which shows Hitler in his early brown shirt days. It is a pathetic dog-like face the face of a man suffering under intolerable wrongs. In a rather more manly way, it reproduces the expression of innumerable pictures of Christ crucified, and there is little doubt that this is how Hitler sees himself. That's a good burn. (laughs) (laughs) The initial personal cause of his grievance against the universe can only be guessed at, but at any rate, the grievance is here. He is the martyr, the victim, Prometheus chained to the rock, the self-sacrificing hero who fights single-handed against impossible odds, if he were killing a mouse he would know how to make it seem like a dragon. One feels, as with Napoleon, that he is fighting against destiny, that he can't win, and yet that he somehow deserves to. The attraction of such a pose is of course enormous. Half the films that one sees turn
1: upon such a theme. Also, he has grasped the falsity of the hedonistic attitude to life. Nearly all western thought since the last war, certainly all progressive thought, has assumed tacitly that human beings desire nothing beyond ease, security and avoidance of pain. In such a view of life there is no room, for instance, for patriotism and the military virtues. The socialist who finds his children playing with soldiers is usually upset, but he is never able to think of a substitute for the tin soldiers, 10 pacifists somehow won't do. Hitler, because in his own joyless mind he fills it with exceptional strength, knows that human beings don't only want comfort, safety, short working hours, hygiene, birth control, and, in general, common sense. They also, at least intermittently, want struggle and self sacrifice, not to mention drums, flags, and loyalty parades. However, they may be, as economic theories, fascism and Nazism are psychologically far sounder than any hedonistic conception of life. The same is probably true of Stalin's militarized version of socialism. All three of the great dictators have enhanced their power by imposing intolerable burdens on their peoples, whereas socialism, and even capitalism in a more grudging way, has said to people, I offer you a good time. Hitler has said to them, I offer you struggle, danger, and death, and as a result, a whole nation flings itself at its feet. Perhaps later on they will get sick of it and change their minds, as at the end of the last war, after a few years of slaughter and starvation, greatest happiness of the greatest number is a good slogan. But at this moment, better an end with horror than a horror without end is a winner. Now that we are fighting against the man who coined it, we ought not to underrate its emotional appeal. George Orwell, The New English Weekly, March 21st, 1940. When you consider when it was written, it's before quite a lot of the worst things that are about to happen. I, I think he's kind of cementing that idea of like you just you mm. have to understand
0: why that appeals to people. You can't just go like, oh, never talk about it. No, 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 no. That's why that's why we're doing this podcast. That's like why we talk about these things that that upset us, because you have to understand it to really fight it.
1: Yeah. Also, there's actually a bit from this review that was actually taken out retroactively by like George Orwell fans. He actually says, I "Have to admit that I like Hitler." <laughs> you can see why he took it out, but he actually goes on and he says, "I like Hitler in the sense that I want to kill him for what he stands for, but as a person, I feel no anger towards him." I don't know why they got rid of that, because I thought that's quite a... That
0: kind of sums up what he's saying. He's talking about that charisma. I mean, watching old videos of Hitler, I don't know what the fuck they're talking about, but he undeniably (laughs) had a lot of charisma when it came to winning people
1: over. And I get what he means. He has this air of just being a person. He is still a person in the way, and I'm sure you know... Right, I don't want to... I'm editing this out. Look, Hitler's
0: just not that bad. (laughs) Okay.
1: But I think he just makes a really good point there where it's like people assume that what people want in life is just to be safe and happy when why would that be all they want? Clearly, some people like to be, you know, soldiers. They want to fight. They want to fuck shit up. They want to kill people. Maybe they don't want things to be good. Mm. I think that explains a lot. You could even maybe say that in terms of like the ideas that people have in the West, very progressive Gay people are cool. Civil rights is good. Equal rights for men and women. To the point where it's like, well, what else do we do? There's nothing, There's nowhere else to go. So the only thing you can do is to go back. <laughs>
0: I want to end this episode on, like, a positive, encouraging note, right? Trust me, I'm. we're both aware we have covered some very depressing, not, not very, like, fun topics. Um, we will have some lighthearted stuff. I swear. I swear. Just so much stuff has happened, we felt like we needed to cover all of it. Just blame the world. The world is fucked it's, up. It's not our fault. We want to be funny. <laughs> That's all we want to do. But we can't. We have to be doing all this shit. I want to end it on like an encouraging note, right? It's not all doom and gloom. It's all, it's not all hopeless, especially when you dig around in history forever. It might seem like there's no option. It might seem like this stuff is just happening to us and there's nothing we can do about it. Mm. That's not true. There's what's that quote. It's like a quote from Edmund Burke. This quote really sticks with me. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good people. It says men, but I'm going to say people for good people to do nothing. And I really honestly believe that. I really honestly believe that at our core, humans are a pack animal and we like getting along with other people for the most part. I think there are so many easy ways of of making people really tribalistic and like against each other. But I think there are even more ways to make people want to work together. And I think that the only way that these alt-right people are going to win is if we let them. We need to be public being against this stuff. We have to be actively talking about the holes and logic in this stuff because we can't let this be (laughs) the fall of civilization, guys. Memes? No. So anyway, uh, thank you guys so much for, um, you know... (laughs) trudging through all this really <laughs> really depressing stuff uh, we'll
1: make it up to you I swear this is important stuff as always like we want to know what people think about the stuff that we're saying old man shouts at cloud yeah definitely it'd be good to hear other people's opinions including opinions that are completely contrary yeah if, if you disagree with us we uh,
0: that's honestly I am prefer to <laughs> I mean it's nice to hear when people are like oh I, I, I
1: agree with this stuff, but it, it's honestly it feels better to talk to someone because maybe we are misinformed we don't know actually I'm gonna Slightly open up here as well because I remember when I was younger, there were definitely things that I was starting to think and things that I was starting to take in that were quite dangerous. I think that's why dialogues like this are really important because it really is. It's quite easy to fall into these groups.
0: Look, the people who fall into cults, the people who fall into like extremist political groups and stuff, like it's it always happens to the people who think that it's not gonna happen to them. So never think that you're above these people who fall for these this propaganda or this manipulation and stuff. There is no shame in realizing that you have been manipulated with misinformation or manipulated with hate or manipulated with whatever. There's no shame in it in admitting that and then changing. It's never too late to back out of that.
1: As always, get us on all of our social medias at This Up. It's been great hanging with you. We hope we haven't depressed you too much.
0: And we got some very nice messages about um, we put our first episode up. It's up and live now. We're going to be posting weekly. It really means the world to us, guys, that you like it. We'll do it even if nobody likes it. We just enjoy (laughs) doing it. But it's nice that people like it.
1: Even if you hate it. No, that will make me want to do it even more. Just to prove you (laughs) fucking wrong. (laughs) Fuck you. I'm gonna make a podcast no matter what. That's right. But we love you. We love you.